ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೌ ಭುನಕ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯ ಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾ ವಿದ್ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಓಂ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 good morning good evening everyone i've been missing the last few gd so anyone of you can quickly summarize the last gd and then we can probably kick off and just using that as a standard template so we know that you know uh, we kind of you know recoup what regroup and re recreate what what has happened in the last gd last one was on sharda ji's uh, uh, we dedicated it to her uh, this thing right uh, we almost did not discuss anything else other than uh, we of course recapped the week before quickly i think did we kishor not much actually no we did not much no yeah sharda ji came in a little early and then uh, you know we were uh, we thought we should maximize on interaction with her uh, so that was very very uh, uh, revealing uh, just to Uh, alpana were you able to participate no right you were also not uh... i was in and out because i was driving that day and okay. it, it was on and off but i did manage okay. to i i haven't finished uh, listening to it but but pretty much yes how oh, you listen to her, the recording okay okay cool oh we had so many questions and uh, we just could not uh, uh, you know fit in all the questions within the uh, time and we went over the time as well and uh, yeah she was kind enough to share her email and said uh, you know any of you have any questions write to me and uh, i'll be more than happy she in fact enjoys these interactions i believe so yeah yeah i thought we were going to have a second session kishore isn't that what I, we were thinking about that, that's true i i, I just sort of will give it a, a little bit of time and then i will sure. write her again yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's good because I just ordered her book, so it'll be nice okay. to read the book first before the second session. So I'm glad you're that thinking makes sense. Makes of sense. spacing yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So cool. That that's good. So I'm glad that uh, uh, you know the session went off well. I'm sorry I couldn't join. Kishore, thank you for organizing that. I, I did. Yeah. I did. I did uh, go through the uh, recording. um yeah you know, they were they were pretty interesting uh, questions i would say from from the group and uh, pretty uh, you know some some good answers uh, like them um, <coughs> they, they they probably will have to read her book a little bit a uh, little bit more to get the context so let's see that yeah okay so with that we get back to atmapoda the 30 right alpana that's what you, you said and i read read only up till 30 right so anyone can kick off I'm... would you said something no no i i stopped at 29 because 30 was a new chapter so i just <laughs> halted at 29 it was all, what i was going to say but where do we start alpana today which shloka do we start with Actually, we said uh, we didn't finish that fifteen to twenty-six because that was a long one. So we'll cover 
um, remaining part of 15 to 26, and then uh, 26 to 30 is what we'll do in addition to that. So 15 to 30. So we should start with 15 now, okay. We, we did cover the beginning part of you know that chapter, 15 to 25, but uh, I don't think we covered the last three or four shlokas at all. So maybe we should start from about 20. As 20? Yeah, 1920. Yeah, I think 20 also we covered, right? The, the 21 is about the sunlight, you know. Uh, it was one of the while uh, we were touched upon. Correct. I thought we were doing from 25 to 30, or am I mistaken? We said we'll just cover the last few shlokas which we didn't touch upon. Okay, all right. So maybe, you know, uh, we can just kick off. Anybody can kind of, you know, share some of their aha moments from wherever that, that they um, have read through, right? That I think that will trigger off the conversation. Yeah, so around uh, Shloka, the verse 20, um, you know, he was talking about how the self is not really involved in anything, but you know it makes everything happen. Kinds right. For the uh, in uh, verse twenty, he takes the simile of a sun, right? Of the sun rising up, and just as the sun rises up, all the activity in the world uh, starts. Right, uh, like the birds start chirping, people get up and start going about. So just by the presence of the sun or the sun rising up, everything starts to happen. That's how the self is, right? It doesn't need to do anything, right? Just by being there, everything in the world happens, uh, was the simile around uh, uh, verse 20. And then he says, we are just not able to distinguish because of the... Uh, Ignorance uh, and everything is superimposed, right? Uh, so we uh, we cannot just as uh, blueness is imposed and superimposed on the sky. Uh, it is the same way that the self is superimposed, and we are not able to distinguish between the self and our um, uh, what you call our mind, body, intellect. Okay. I think that's the biggest uh, new entrant into the entire quote-unquote scientific discussions, right? The science does not agree that there is a new element or a principle called self, and they give uh, you know, whatever credence to combination of matter creating like H, or hydrogen and oxygen coming together and creating something totally new. You know, they, they postulate that that is what it is there, but whereas Vedanta says that there is a self, and that's the only thing that matters. So for me, the aha moment was uh, more in the later verses when he says, everyone can go up to the intellect, right? We use the intellect to say, um, you know, uh, we are not, uh, we are not the gross body. We are not the uh, pranamaya, we are not the mind, etc., etc. We can, we use the intellect in order to 
say that uh, we are not any of those elements, but then we have to convince ourselves that the intellect is also not the self, and then the self reveals itself. Right? That was like mind blowing kind of uh, uh, this thing for me. and that can happen that can happen only when the mind is completely still mind and intellect are completely still mm-hmm. there's no other way it can happen yeah i like one statement which swami aparajitanand makes he says why are you happy is a wrong question happiness is your nature you can only ask uh why are you miserable and you can get get rid of that miserableness because that's not you so i like the way we he said it actually we never asked that question right when we are happy why we are happy we never asked that question do we you do ask a lot <laughs> sorry apna maybe we don't ask ourselves but we do ask people right are you happy Why oh that's happy? because that's because we say okay you are happy but i am not happy therefore i want to know what makes you happy it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a great point like uh, swami ji in one of his lectures used to say uh, when people you ask them or or i think like even in some psychology experiments they say when people arrive to a conference on time you ask them they will attribute to oh i cleverly planned i knew this was going to take time and i took this train or i carpooled and so on they'll give all the good experience and take the credit for themselves but when they are late the first thing they'll say oh there was traffic jam the bus got delayed or somebody stopped me on the way so the the credit first instinct for a lot of people is to take it on them but the the blame you want to put it on others that's so hilarious <laughs> I I like the uh, the same example too, like the default state of happiness, the switching. Uh, the similar note I also saw about the uh, the body. Generally, we say we think of I am this body. Then we kind of and then the steps are the next step is I am the body which has got a consciousness. And then eventually we have to kind of learn to say I am consciousness with this incidental body. That's the uh, correct definition of uh, looking looking at it like. and as long as you are able to say oh my mind is getting disturbed not i am disturbed or my body seems to have this pain not me i am not in pain and then like slowly when we start using the sentences now uh, even even the real life when i uh, when i do that switch i sometimes catch myself and laugh voice i just said i am tired no i am not tired <laughs> can i ask the same question in a different way are you guys happy in this moment mm-hmm. yes yes actually that's a very profound See. question i think the yeah. uh, true test somiti says of vedanta if you like forget all the other experience part and all if at any point anybody asks you are you happy if you are able to say here and now at this situation i am happy always you are sthita pragna there so if i can share one uh, um 
aha moment from from actually a talk by Swami T, right? Um, so he mentions as part of his meditation series where he uh, talked about, you know, during meditation, when the thoughts arise, he says, don't ver- uh, try not to verbalize the thoughts, right? So, uh, and that was a big aha moment for me. The last few days I've been, I've been uh, um, kind of assimilating that. And so even, even during normal, like when you're sitting here and whatnot, right? I'm, when you give words to the thoughts, or I mean, remind yourself, gently remind that don't verbalize, right? Because when we verbalize is when the thought goes from one thing to the other to the other. Um, it, it moves from one thing to the other. But when you don't verbalize it, you see that there is, there is more chance of stillness. The thoughts don't uh, scatter, like the mind is not scattered. So it stays more and more stable. And um, that was pretty, and in meditation, you can see this very clearly. And so uh, just by reminding, a gentle reminder to not verbalize, when, when it does verbalize, kind of remind or um, prompt the mind not to verbalize, right? That proved to be a, a very important one. Uh, and you'll, you can try this yourself. If you don't verbalize that, you can stay in the moment. But Kishore, Kishore, just just staying with your thought, what you said, right? What yeah. I find, what I find is that thoughts are not just verbal thoughts. There are so many things, like you know, images, emotions and whatnot, sure. images which come into my mind when I when I think of something. Yeah. I actually don't think uh, words. I actually think images. Sure. No, but when the thought when it is verbalized, I, I agree with you, Rajesh. I mean, there often there's emotions and images, um, past memory and all that. However, when we verbalize there is a lot more tendency to go from one thought to the other and then to the other. The chaining happens when we verbalize. The chaining breaks or more chance to break the chain when, the th- uh, when we don't verbalize, right? So that- um, when, when you say verbalize, do you mean like um, saying it out or is it like- even In the mind, in the mind. In the mind we, thinking about ver- it. Thinking, okay. uh, thinking verbally, right? Uh, Verbal. Like framing it as a, as a sentence in whatever language we normally think. Um, but inside the mind, when there is, um, when we frame it in a sentence, there is higher chance of it going from one to the next. Because mind, if you, if you, if you observe your mind, it's going to keep jumping from one thought to the other very, very quickly, right? At, at a, and when that quietens, this is answer, in a way, it is an answer to your question. Because when that quietens and when um, when you when you stop that chaining and when when that uh, um, relatively uh, quietens, that's when you see actually experience happiness. So if we are able to do that, um, uh, yeah. even when we are in the moment here, right? And and another way of saying that is be in the moment, because yeah, you cannot I, I be can... in the moment. Yeah, I can kind of relate to that in. Uh practical practical way in the sense that so if someone says something which is not true right and you and it gets repeated by other people and a group Mm -hmm. of people and continuously then the other group starts to believe that's true right which is not true right so um, I think I think the same thing. If I think I'm bad and 
no, if people say that I'm bad, right? And if I, if I hear from 10 people, I might think that I'm bad, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same way probably what, what you're saying also is, is the same, right? If some thought comes and it continuously comes and you, you try to continuously verbalize it, then you might, it, it gets, uh, what do you call, um, it becomes reinforced. a memory. Reinforced. Yeah, reinforced memory. Yeah, yeah. You're giving it energy, and actually. Energy um, to it, like. It snowballs, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I sort of have a slightly different view on it because I feel like if you're experiencing, say, a negative emotion and you don't verbalize it, it can continue to agitate you and you're not able to, you know, figure out why it's agitating you. So I think maybe you do need to sometimes verbalize it so that you can understand why, you know, something or what the cause of your agitation might be, and then you can let it go. I think it's like not holding on to that is important, but, um, but I feel like sometimes you got to verbalize it because otherwise you don't know why like, I, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Why am I feeling uncomfortable? You know, if you can put some uh, words around it and understand why it's so, I think you can let go of it more easily. But Manu, go back to Krishna's point, right? We cannot, if we think that I'm feeling uncomfortable, then we, we want to verbalize it. But you're saying, okay, something in me is feeling uncomfortable. Right, That's something me. in me is feeling uncomfortable because of which, say, I can't focus on, you know, what I should be focusing on. Um, yeah. So, but you have to, I think, sometimes but that, figure but, out. But that, but that un uncomfortable, the, the entity that's getting uncomfortable is not me. Yes, I agree with that. But the entity that needs to focus is the one being agitated. But but do we make here the distinction between past and present? If it's present, something is not right. Um, we think about it and move on. If the past, then we don't verbalize. Is, is that what it is? I don't know. No, no, so I, this I, whole verbalizing thing is in the context of meditation and the thoughts and in, coming and to in the mind, mind in yeah. the meditation, not in oh, general, but yeah, yeah. No, no, not in yeah. That's right. Very okay. important point. I agree. It is inside, it is in your mind. And, and even, uh, it can be even outside of meditation when you're, you know, when we are not involved in something, um, when you just are sitting around, right? And let's say, even at that time, our, our thoughts just keep taking us away, right? So how, how do we bring it back and be in the moment? Um, because if when we are in the moment, really in the moment, what, what then happens is, uh, the mind is not wavering at that time, just for those moments that we are actually here. And, and you experience happiness because um, what I'm realizing is happiness is directly related to how still your mind is. So if you can bring it back to the moment, whether it's through breathing uh, by attention to the breath, because that's one way to anchor to the moment, right? Some, you need some kind of an anchor. Uh, some people, some of us need some anchor, um, or it could be the knowledge uh, that I'm not the one who is thinking, right? Any of those, you can bring it back to the moment. The mind does not, and as long as the mind does not wander, you will experience the, um, the, uh, the um, uh, happiness that's coming from you, right? So, I mean, again, so that, that Lakshmi, when you asked that question, that's kind of what I, uh, I realized that, if we are able to bring it back 
and be in the moment you you can be happy yeah but um <laughs> to you, to that question my answer is i'm neither happy nor sad so i'm just plain at this moment and i, I don't know how to define the, happiness here though so that okay. that's why i was asking that question yeah ah okay i i get it okay so i i think in general when we use the word happiness i think we tend to use it in the apparent um reality of happiness right something external is making me happy right but this happiness something that's coming from inside um and you can experience it when the mind is very still and it has it's a different quality that it um i don't know how to describe this but it's a different quality that you experience uh that that's what i meant i mean when when that when you experience that i think uh, there is a very distinct difference between that and um uh the other one is dependent yeah, dependent happiness right there is something that you achieved something that you got or, or got it off that is giving you the uh, it's a relief or something that's giving you that <laughs> experience of happiness but behind the scenes what's really giving you that happiness is what is coming from inside right because the mind is like, uh, calmer are you saying you know if somebody has an inner peace so that is happiness that's right and so the if the mind is calm I, at least that's what i've been experiencing sorry others please pitch in but uh, when the mind is calm and it's not um distracted by different things um you see that uh, inner happiness comes through because it, again i think we've spoken about in in a theoretical sense where we say since even the self has to be reflected in the mind isn't it that um even atman has to be reflected in the mind when so the mind is very busy or the mirror is uh, dirty the reflection is not going to be uh, true so in the same way right if the mind is calm then the the self can be reflected in a more um truer sense and that's the inner happiness that we see or experience in the mind in the talk uh, i think there was a mention of the uh, uh, part of water in which the water is agitated and the sun shining in there which is, so i think when the water is still that's what we are aiming for that that's precisely it and so that's why i wanted to ask this group about meditation i mean uh, i know on the and i'm curious to hear what others think I me mean, i know this this knowledge can come together and i i i think it will be very useful if uh, um you know i know many of us do but you know in meditation if you experience that a little even glimpses very i mean small glimpses of it i think then it, it correlates both right in some way so i am curious uh, what others um i think about meditation in that sense yeah so uh, kishore to manu's point right i think the man- analogy manu that you used the pot of water reflecting the sunlight and when the when the pot is agitated um you know then the happiness doesn't shine in properly because there's a you know it it has to be <clears throat> understood in a slightly different way the way that i have understood it is as follows see um the analogy is very good but the mind is not just a homogeneous mixture like what the water mixture is in that pot example the mind has different parts when i say mind i'm i'm saying anything that is not the physical body that's what that entity that what i'm saying so now let's break it down there is one side there is this sense organs 
then there is this emotional mind then there is this intellectual mind each one of them can be potentially wavering or disturbance having their own disturbances which are not necessarily the same because they are not homogeneous like the sense organs will have a disturbance which means they they will be distracted completely distracted outside okay that's their wavering okay the emotional mind uh, uh, disturbances that it will go through the ups and downs of emotions you know anger fear greed and all those kind of things but that has got nothing to do with the disturbance in the intellect in the intellect if i am if i have a wrong notion about who i am or if i have a wrong notion about anything okay any fact okay i am in a meeting i have i perceive what the other person is saying wrongly that's an intellectual fault you get my point it can happen because of emotions it can happen because of senses or it can happen even because of the intellect itself so if you want to still the mind still the mind does not mean you know uh, applying the analogy of this pot of water and making it perfect still it is stilling different parts of that internal mind in different ways right and that's a meditation as a practice to going back and tying to what kishore is saying the way that i have understood is it is not one thing it's at different levels okay at the sense level emotional level at a mind level at the intellect level and for some people even it's a body level people can't even sit for meditation how many times have we seen you know, i can't sit for 5 minutes you know when we started this meditation uh, group uh, when when i i started taking that so many people told me they can't sit for 5 minutes but over 2 years they sit for 30 minutes why why does it happen different tools for different parts is what i'm trying to say no, that that makes sense rajesh i think uh, the intellectual part right, rajesh that you talked that's pretty important right that's where you your identity lies right how you cognize who you are right that's kind of that's a central part right because the stimuli from outside if you really think about it uh, the five senses get the stimuli for any event right whether how i choose to respond or how i am cognizing it the situation is is the is that is that where the the work needs to be done i believe uh, because if i can i can always get threatened by a certain situation or certain type of people Uh, but in reality they may not be threatening it's more of how i cognize that that situation that gives me either happiness or or or, or suffering uh, so i think that's a, that's an important part of uh, of the process i think even question answer the question on meditation right um even at, at least my personal practices um the the what i inside of gained is the work needs to be done on on that layer of cognizing or how i respond where my identity lies who am i right that how i define that part because that's where all the reactions come that's the space from which all the reactions come uh, as just been that's been my personal insight uh, also so that is an important layer is what this is what i'm saying too because i can choose to be like for example um, somebody's honking uh, in the freeway right so i can choose to get mad i can choose to let it go that is from my cognition right 
if you really think about it somebody honking at the freeway at you and we perceive oh, he's honking at me he may be honking at something else completely right the perception he's honking at me he's finding something bad at me start if that's a cognition to start with our perception uh, and then either you decide to get agitated about it how can i be i i was driving correctly you know those thoughts come you get agitated with it or you may say oh he's honking at somebody and let it go both are equal up both ways we can cognize right uh that's that's i think an important insight i've gained over time is um working on that layer that's why if you really look at the you know sparana nididhyasana those three things right listening understanding there's no meditation word used in that uh because dhyana is in, inbuilt into the process it's not as much if you clean the mirror on the cognition then the dhyana automatically happens uh, that's at least how i understand the cycle there uh, that's been my experience also and i and i really like this example of the pot with the water because uh, earlier the whole thing of a dirty reflecting medium like didn't make as much like i didn't connect with it as well but when i think of you know the ripples in the water and the water being still i i understand because it you know it's uh, when the mind is agitated versus when the mind is at peace it, it made sense for me that's why you know i brought it up because it it just yeah. i just connected with that example um, much better than the earlier ones of a dirty reflecting medium yeah no I, actually there's one more thing you can add to that uh, to the water if the water is dirty right and if it has sediments um along with it being wa- uh, waves on the surface right the sediments you have to just let it settle there's no other way right uh, so if the mind is completely disturbed sometimes which is right you just have to accept it let it be and and then the sediments settle down only then you can work on the waves after that right um so the, the, you can extend that analogy a little bit. i i love that too uh, that analogy is really awesome yeah actually i was about to add to that there is one more shloka i think shloka 22 uh, it says chandre chalanati keta ambasa uh, also then the intellectual part in recognizing that the trembling of the moon is not the actual moon that is trembling but it is only the water so if the the water is not reflecting or impure it is just like even even if it does i think that is like a given when the body and the mind are there it is going to get agitated the body is going to go through its physical ups and downs but just that one step behind the knowledge saying oh it is just the mind that is getting trembled i thought that was beautiful the 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 moon here the analogy was the moon the moon is always steady but so water that is actually trembling and hence the reflected moon is uh, trembling on the surface of the water incidentally the 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 moon what we see is uh, a symbolic uh, for the universal mind okay oh the universal mind is universal mind doesn't tremble it's only the individual mind trembles pretty cool and also the moon analogy has got one more layer right because moon itself is not powering Power in the, power. yes yes the sun yes sun power the moon right so basically yep, yep. it is the I means got layers and layers of uh, very cool yep 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 yeah so if, if one can't get to the root of the problem which is the the question of identity then i think you know one has to go through different layers of the human personality before they identify themselves saying okay who oh, the problem could be here like you know going back to the example muku what you talked about honking on the freeway right 
at that point of time if one gets agitated the chances are that the person's the person has been putting themselves at the center of the universe for that you know the the driving problem you know caused by somebody else but it it may be just that you know that guy is just in a hurry to do something we just don't understand his circumstance yeah highways are a great place to practice bhagavad gita <laughs> seriously <laughs> especially i think we're missing the traffic hours but you know the morning hours but once it comes back <laughs> yeah yeah but krishna different places have different uh, things you know for me it highways in the us but in india city roads good oh, enough yes. <laughs> so one so, one more small point like so the the other side of coming from uh, like we generally don't question too much about happiness spot when we are happy uh, but one nice framework i've heard is like when when you are happy also if you can ask and say if that happiness is due to a space time object or a person i think of it as stop so if it's one of these four attributes that is giving you the happiness then vedanta says that is also unstable it's it's going to be like soon go away time will take mm-hmm. it away space will take it away or it's an object it will go away or if it's a person they are going to perish at some point so that is also uh, not not the true happiness it's a temporary uh temporary phenomenon that uh, once again kind of reminds us back to the same teaching wow that's yeah that's deep yeah yeah because uh, think about it right um when uh, something external gives us happiness but what exactly but we we attribute it to that being the cause of the happiness or the source of the happiness right whatever that is people person thing uh, uh, that you mentioned now but is it really it, it 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 is actually if you really think about it the, coming in contact with that resulted in the mind feeling um, at ease right because maybe you have achieved something that you were trying very hard for or you got rid of something that was uh, irritating you um maybe you are in touch with a uh, god in touch with a person you, you haven't met in a long time so uh, you know you think that is the source but behind the scenes all that is happening is the mind is now suddenly become calm because something that you were longing for or uh, or being agitated with as that source has been removed and hence the mind is back to being calm again now in in that calm mind there is a better reflection of your inner source of happiness right because of that calm mind right but we uh, attribute it to the source being the external source which is actually temporary right that that external source whether it's a person people thing a uh, place thing or what not that's going to go away sooner or later it's one day two days a week or whatever but it's going to go away um but the the real reason why we feel happy is because the mind has become calm and the reflection is now better right so then do you really need the people place thing to make your mind calm no if the mind is calm you're going to feel happy and now when is the mind calm right now if the the, the problem shifts now you're no longer dependent on what is outside now you're trying to see okay as long as i i can keep my mind calm i can stay happy right so now the problem shifts to you yourself and not based on 
hey, I want this or I, I need to get rid of that. Now the problem is inward, right? Can I keep my mind calm no matter what is around me? So then that becomes the uh, next part of the journey. Kishore, great point. You know, maybe actually, um, maybe we can probably, you know, uh, go a little round robin here and ask each one of us, right? Uh, what, you know, in the, in, the, in the entire life that we have spent so far, we have graduated from one state of quote-unquote happiness or unhappiness to something else today. Let's assume that, you know, it, it is, it's been all relative transition. How have we transitioned? What actually changed in the whole process? Why, why, why do we think that we are, quote-unquote, better off today from a happiness quotient perspective today compared to, let's say, a few years back? What changed? That's a question that I'm asking. Okay, let me start. Uh, happiness and sadness, that's not what we are after. We are, I think we should be targeting equanimity. Right? In the sense, don't, don't think of anything as happiness or sadness. Right? Uh, so I think we get, at least in my personal, uh, this thing, uh, the way I have evolved or matured over the years is a sense of detachment to these things, right? If something positive happens, okay, it has happened, but you know, uh, why, why attribute it to myself, right? If something negative happens, also apply the same logic and say, okay, it is, it has happened, but why react to what has happened? To get that level of detachment to the happenings, I think helps me. And I'm still on journey. I'm not. I have not perfected it, uh, obviously. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, even uh, in Sharadaji's book, she says that when you reach that state of equanimity, there is a risk that your social circle will see you as somebody uh, who is, uh, you know, not uh, participative or lifeless or things like that, right? If you literally, when you meet somebody after several years, if you don't show the excitement, right? If you're not, if you're not happy uh, as the world knows happiness, right? Then you, you could be seen as somebody who is uh, lacking in emotions, if you will, right? For that. So, uh, yeah, just be cautious about that stage as well. Right. So I'll stop. Uday, I have a question for you, right? Um, so you mentioned equanimity, right? That um, what is uh, um, uh, not being swayed by either happiness or, or sadness, right? So then what is that state, right? It, it, it is like, a, and that state, which where you've not been swayed by both, is the inner happiness. I mean, so if you think of happiness as it's used today, and in, in terms of that word, maybe there's a different word uh, that we can use, but there is the apparent happiness or the, um, the lower grade, if you will, of happiness that's coming from things that are outside, right? And, and then the one from inside, uh, which is what you experience when both of them, you, you are saying you have a similar attitude towards the, external happiness and what is bringing sorrow externally right? and then what is remaining there right how is that state is how i see it um 
so there is that outer grade and the the lower grade which is from outside and the and the higher form of happiness which is coming purely from inside hmm. i i i agree with you but i uh, i don't think i'm uh, you know at that stage where i experience that inner uh, happiness to be very honest right what i'm trying to do is now uh, at least in my journey i'm trying to disassociate myself from uh, you know from reacting to uh, situations right uh, so i think that is where i am to be honest so so you know kishore you know to one of your earlier points you know uh, see happiness uh, can be defined as you know presence of something or absence of something right i mean like i don't have any uh, uh, something that was troubling me that situation is not there and hence i'm happy or something is there which is giving me happy then you know uh, if if you, you you were talking about you know that uh, if you reach a state stage of uh, calmness you know and think that can be attributed as uh, uh, happiness uh, but then you know so that's a that's like a true state like you know when many of us i mean many people take to for example uh, say drinks you know when they are unhappy they they, they drink and and during that time probably that uh, uh, you know they forget something and that can probably give them happiness but that's not really the true one right i mean what you're saying um uh, Uh, when you are when you are absolutely calm you know without any external stimuli i think that's where probably you will uh, you are in the right that, that, right that's state. right satya yeah. yeah because if you think about it the external um um conditions environment we don't control right i mean if somebody you know we are in a certain place or we, we are in a we are the situation is what it is right we don't control a lot of it most of it some yes um but then how can i still be happy regardless of where i am right um and whatever situation it might be right and that situation might be actually favorable right now but that will also change and then and and so on but but understanding that happiness cannot be tied to that because that will be temporary right no matter what it will it is going to be temporary Yeah, even if uh, for that matter something that gives you happiness you have more and more of it that's also going to give you uh, that, that it's going to taper off right uh, at some point so the um yeah so once that <laughs> understanding dawns as in um hey wait a minute <laughs> this is uh, this is only going to give me temporary happiness and it seems like a lower grade for me uh, uh, then i think the uh thing shifts to an inward journey of seeing that the happiness actually comes from inside actually not from every, anything outside which also is very liberating in my opinion because you can be happy no matter what nobody can affect you at this point nothing can affect you which means there's no fear or anxiety or anything of that sort because hey i can be happy no, no matter what happens around just imagine if that that was the condition if if we could put ourselves in that position i think it's extremely liberating uh, in, in some ways a higher form of that is probably what is called uh, enlightenment right a, a highest form of that because nothing can affect you there's no fear even death cannot uh, there's no fear of death because you understand what that is 
See, I wanted to add just one perspective to this that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, I just call it a happiness delusion. Like uh, you go through hell, right? And then you sort of survived. And let's say you're, you're on the path, you're meditating, you're reading, you're doing satsang, seva, whatever. And then you come out of it, right? And then you start to feel better. And then you say that, look, my resilience has gone up, I have evolved spiritually, etc, etc. But sometimes, you know, one data point that we miss is, am I exactly in the same circumstances, same excruciatingly painful environment, circumstances, or toxic environment that I was in? And if I'm exactly in that same environment, you know, am I going to respond differently? So sometimes what happens is that there's a shift in your external environment or you've gotten rid of some toxic people around you, you moved on in life and you sort of attribute that to your spiritual evolution. I think the real test is if you're put in exactly the same circumstances or worse, maybe worse. And then you say, look, I reacted in the same way. You know, so I, this is just a, just a comment and a caveat, you know, because it's a, you know, if you can really, you know, feel that, yes, I am indeed better, you know, in a similar or a worse situation, my response is uh, better, you know, and I'm not reacting, I'm responding, etc. Et then, of course, I do, you know, uh, sort of say that, yes, there is evolution. That That's I, the only point. Rajiv, that's why all of us are married. <laughs> you know, but what happens is that, see, marriage, you know, Rajesh, wo ek numbness ho jati hai. You get used to that pain. <laughs> you, you get used to it, not the spouse. Remember that. <laughs> so we have the, to check the, the highway is a good place to test that. Like, did you <laughs> and did you build that resilience or not? Like we were talking earlier. I think Rajiv's <laughs> point is very good, actually. Many times, you know, at least I have felt like that. So I think that I have a wall, then there's a drop, then you know, okay, after some time you realize, then get back to the thing. So, of course, it's a journey. Um, maybe the amount of fall, maybe maybe it is reducing. But at least, you know, that's exactly what... Uh, FIR, uh, Satya, FIR. FIR. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I apply that, <laughs> Kishore. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we can look at it... Uh, like yeah, what, is, what is FIR? I'm sorry, I, I, uh, uh, I missed Oh, it. sorry. Oh. Yeah, it's frequency, <laughs> intensity, and recovery. So when put in these situations, as Rajiv was pointing out, how frequently, you know, maybe previously we used to get angry 8 out of 10. Oh, maybe angry. now it's okay. 5 out of 10. Um, intensity is how, how strong is that feeling and how quickly are we able to recover back into our stable state, right? So we can check ourselves in each of these dimensions. And if we have, are we improving in, uh, along these? And there was another one uh, Krishna posted, uh, right? Uh, on the WhatsApp chat saying, if you're able to remain silent, um, even uh, when things happen, as in silent, as in mentally silent, if your mind is still, then you've made progress, right? Uh, that Ramana Maharshi, uh, okay. uh, you had a quote from him. Thanks, Akisha. I think, Rajiv, to your point, in, in my understanding is that uh, 
these these circumstances what we are placed in will always give us situations to test ourselves okay it's no uh, it's no uh, coincidence or serendipity that you know uh, you are living in a particular place married to a particular person uh, having a particular set of children or parents or whatever there is a reason for that we may not accept the reason you know if i go and talk say have the same kind of discussion in in the mothership group they'll just blast the hell out of me but that's a different topic but let's 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 accept that there is a reason for it and the reason is evolution of our own self from a lower self to a higher self rest all is all uh, you know uh, accompaniments for us to grow yeah Actually, Absolutely. one uh, point. I oh sorry, Kishore wanted to say. No, no. Oh, you no. raise your hand, Krishna. Ah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so one one point on that way uh, it's elaborated is uh, to go with that uh, the space time object and person or anything anything else that uh, the Vedanta is termed as an anatma. The way to think of the reasoning behind why that happiness is not going to be eternal. uh so the the reason stated is there are uh, three types of doshas dosha trayam is what it is called so one is called mishra tatvam so to acquire something that you do not have takes time to maintain it takes effort and then when you lose it you still feel oh now i am missing it and you get that sadness the second part is uh, atripti karatvam which is like it is not going to make you fully happy once you get one thing you want something more you want something more and you want something more that new state kind of becomes the new hedonistic treadmill where you want something more beyond that and then the third part is uh, bandhakatva where it is going to now make you an addict now you are dependent on this particular object space time or person for your happiness and if it is lost then you are now again going to feel incomplete and hence uh, sad so there is like one more uh, acronym swami ji comes up with this so bandhakatva atripti karatvam Uh, Dukha Mishra Tatvam, bad. They are bad for you. <laughs> so this is from uh, which uh, text, uh, Krishna? Uh, in in the Bhagavad Gita introduction, he says like he talks about so, this. Okay. Yeah, one of the uh, the reasoning why he says we should go after Atma Jnana is like that is defined as Purnaha, defining right. and all these uh, Dosha Trayam occurs whenever we are chasing anything that is an Anatma or like a material object or something. the reason why is because of these these three things and hence no matter what you do how you change your position like for example with like money or with time or different types of yeah. persons and attachments there is yeah. always going to be this three uh, insufficiencies that is going to be attached to it so hence why are you doing that like even it's it's you are trading only temporary happiness so instead the argument yeah. is try to go for something that is eternal and supreme and this which is the atmajnana so that's perfect yeah 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 that's explained really well very good you know what i also realized is in the process of understanding this it actually gives rise to um uh, to dispassion because now you start to see hey wait a minute no matter what it has those qualities that you mentioned the three qualities you mentioned and hence why am i doing that so then it actually gives rise to dispassion uh naturally without having to try right because of so so to me that is the link between discrimination and dispassion 
because discrimination is what you just said, uh, Krishna, uh, to be able to understand that everything else has these qualities, right? Natural qualities of um, not being permanent and so on. And, and once, you know, that is assimilated, it's going to give rise to dispassion because you're no longer bound by that because you know that that's not going to be permanent. It's going to, uh, even if when I, okay, when I get the house, I, I, I want something else uh, that's going to happen. And when, you, when I get there, it's something else and so on. So once you understand that, it's going to give rise to dispassion because if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it's okay. Right. So they, I was able to tie that with uh, Tatwa Bodha, right? When they talk about this discrimination and dispassion yep. and how that connects, it gives rise to that in, in a way. Yep, yep, yep. So getting back to the whole, uh, uh, to Atma Bodha, right? The, we, we kind of, you know, discussed the Upadis at one point of time. Then we, we, then we discussed the misinterpretation, what happens. And now, I think the shloka seems to be indicating, saying that how do you negate the entire process of what you are not and then move to who you are? So any thoughts on that? Anyone? The shloka 30, basically. Is the 30 the one that is neti neti? Uh, that it's titled neti neti, okay. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a very simple text, but it's really very deep. We have to keep going back all over again to this. Yeah. See, when, when I read this uh, shloka and the explanation here, the only thing that was going on in my mind was Nirvana Shatakam. There's nothing else that was going on in my mind. When you asked the previous question, um, I was thinking about this, that um, if, you, if you go through this process, then whose happiness are we talking about? So what do you define? you're not even this body, not this mind, nothing, then you don't even have the apparatus to feel or not feel the happiness. Right? So it's, an, it's a very interesting, uh, at least a half theoretical, half imaginary, I would say at this point in time. But just to think of yourself as the consciousness, which is an over-encompassing everything and Everything is happening within you, including whatever this body is doing, any conversation that is happening, right? So, because there's just no instrument 
with that consciousness to experience anything yet what what it is it is almost like thinking of yourself to be the sky i think that's the that's the closest as a physical imagination we can think ourselves to be and we are that over overarching within which this whole universe is existing and moving around it's an it's an interesting even if it is an imaginary process that one goes through it's a very interesting experience to 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 do that and again i think it it also connects the point but even then don't try to verbalize it because the moment you verbalize it you are looking at the content and the content is is in this space right but you are the space you are not the content so so i think then when i read this one neeti neeti i think it is what it it says because and then uh, i think another group uh, again kanukma uh, had posted that kahalil uh, his poem on fear you know the fear that the river has before merging with the ocean because it has covered a number a, a huge distance and it has an individuality but just before it goes into the ocean it's fearful that you know what will happen and and it loses its identity and it is something like that you know when you can when you can just when this this identity can be just thought of as disintegrated you know into this nothingness um it's a again it's very hard to verbalize but let your imagination just go wild on on how it how it can be done how is it possible it's actually a very very uh, powerful exercise which kind of links to this but not to me either but actually alpana you know it's uh, losing one's identity is uh, fear fearful but it's not that it's it's not that we have not experienced in our life you know think about it this way you know um, Uh, the the beautiful example that comes to my mind is like the 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 uh, baby in a mother's womb the baby in a mother's womb is no different from the mother the mother does not think the baby is different right and even when the baby has come out of the mother's womb she does not think it's different for some time at least glimpses of experience of it is when you are standing on a beach and the uh, sand below your feet kind of washes away the feeling that you get is where you're losing your balance sort of not yet there but it's it's the feeling then the second time it is when you are trying to park in a parking lot and the car next to you starts moving it's a weird feeling but it's a very powerful feeling of it's it is where you actually because you become one with that system because the other car is moving your car is almost stationary and you feel suddenly what is happening i i feel those are the moments when you lose your individual identity and you merge with the system so so yes there are many examples like that where you will suddenly feel your immediately when you get up and you don't know your bearings it's a it's a momentary feeling and you, you may not get it every day but once in a while you will get it you suddenly don't know where you are what is there what time where you you just don't have any idea of any of those things 
yes, you're right, Rajesh. I mean, we we experience them every now and then, and and it's interesting to catch those that you are not that individual because you're one with the system, and that whole system is moving. So at least you lose the individuality to the system, even if it may not be very expansive, and yet it is very powerful, and it it, it is the kind of experience. Yes, I think I think you're you're talking about as well. if you also um think of yourself as stuck to this earth and the earth is spinning i think <laughs> that you know you lose that sense of individuality you know i am sort of nothing in the context of uh, this whole you know i as the individual body but then the other way to think about it that i am the center of the universe which is also a valid sort of way to think about things because everything is happening inside of me and and you know it, it's all about me <laughs> i think that they're both valid ways of thinking about uh, you know what things are really like like they Absolutely. posted i was an atheist till i discovered i am god yeah i, <laughs> <laughs> I used it as my dp now <laughs> actually that's an interesting comment the um, the you know the the science of enlightenment at least my understanding there are two paths right one is basically um, the buddhist way of thinking right uh, becoming zero becoming nothing uh, the other is becoming purnata becoming everything right so both are uh, both are equally valid paths based on the disposition of the person right. uh, so somebody can become enlightened just becoming zero somebody can just becoming enlightened becoming infinite uh, i think um, Uh, not sure i think me and krishna talked about it so it's beautiful in one of the satsang he says that there are two disciples of ramakrishna uh, swami vekananda and there's one more disciple i forget his name who was in bangladesh both were disciples of ramakrishna so vekananda uh, became infinite and got out of the fish net the other person became zero and got out of the fish net which is the maya net uh, so both are equal paths and i think these are the subtleties where people yeah i mean unless you kind of uh, study study the scriptures you don't get it people just ask random logical questions but again this framework allows for both ways to happen and 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 depending on who we are we'll resonate with one yeah. one idea right and whatever you resonate with you go with it either you dissolve your identity or you expand to a point you become you get out of the net uh, I, i really loved that uh, that analogy that it can happen both ways it was a big click I'm listening to that satsang for me so it was beautiful yeah, yeah. zero and infinity i like it um in fact uh, this uh, uh, my guru says that zero and infinity zero is like uh, shiva which is a state and you just flip it so when you when the when you're in that state and start acting you become devi which is infinite so that's how even the symbol of infinity and zero <laughs> came from, from the, this concept of Shiva and Devi, where the state is Shiva, and which has got no action. The minute Shiva starts acting, it becomes infinite. There's nothing in between that. There's no, there's nothing impossible for Devi, and that is the expression. So the the world is, you know, the whole philosophy of Shiva Devi uh, is embodied in this whole symbol. That's how he explained to us once. Uh, I'm going to remember that zero and infinity now. I'm going to use yeah. it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. Um, 
Alpana, actually to your point, I know you, um, a very interesting point, by the way. And, and uh, as you pointed out, it's like, uh, it's useful to think along those lines, uh, to see, um, um, you know, either as everything happening in your consciousness. I mean, so I, I used to struggle with uh, conceptualizing it, right? I mean, it's hard. <laughs> um, initially, I used to, and then um, yet another one that resonated with me is uh, that if you think of consciousness as being very, is subtler than space, right? If there are all these elements, right? Earth, water, fire, air, and space. Now, space is there in all of them, right? The subtler ones are there in everything, right? Now, imagine something which is subtler than space, not as a material, but it's, it's not material, but it's subtler than space in, the, in that context which means that it has to be there in everything, right? Now, um, combine that with the scientific knowledge of breaking down our own physical body into, into DNA and then to cells and within, this, uh, and, and within that to atoms and then seeing that there's actually nothing but mostly empty space, right? Even within an atom, um, which is the uh, uh, scientific understanding today. Um, now, um, something that's subtler than even space should be there in, in that, right? So uh, to now then imagine us to be that one. Now, how do we um, uh, then experience, how do we explain consciousness? Uh, the, the way I'm understanding, again, at this point, my understanding is the subtle part of, the, uh, of this material, which is subtler, I mean, of the body, right? Which is made up of these five elements. The subtle aspect of it has the property of reflecting this consciousness, right? It just so happens that this, uh, where I'm sitting, I mean, until the edges of my uh, uh, body, the subtle matter is able to reflect this consciousness that's there everywhere. And hence, I, uh, I, feel, I feel it, but maybe just outside that, it doesn't have that material to reflect it. And hence, it doesn't feel the, 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 the cushion I'm sitting on doesn't feel that as an example, right? Because the subtle aspect of it is not able to reflect it. So in meditation, I, I sometimes remind myself of this, that can I get to that state where I can, uh, you know, identify with that uh, consciousness that's getting reflected and not the one that's reflecting, right? Which is the mind. So, uh, so to go from the, the microscopic side, if you will, in, in, to go down to the one that's subtlest, if you will, right? So that also helps in, in a way, uh, personally, yeah. Yeah, in Vishnu Sasranama, there is, a, there is a, one of the n n names of Lord Vishnu called Dhatu Ruttamaha. Okay, Dhatu is uh, basically the Panchadhatu which is, uh, you know, you, the space space onwards to the earth. Uttamaha is the, uh, the one which is, the, you know, the uh, supreme amongst all the datus. So if there are only five datus and if there is something else supreme, it has to be consciousness. Very cool. Okay. I just wanted to make I think, one comment from what Uday said uh, about the 
societal aspect, right? When you start distancing yourself, um, um, see more of that's more of a, like an initial. What I've seen, I've gone through a similar kind of a distancing process, right? But what I've realized over time is the what is what we call as happiness or supreme happiness in this discussion, right? If you reflect on it, the, the core principle is there's no duality, right? There's no happiness nor sadness, right? That's the central idea. It is, uh, it is, right? It's an easiness, right? Uh, from that, I mean, this, again, all words are no meaningful, right? I mean, just I'm just trying to, the concept is getting addressed. In that easiness, right? Um, once, sometimes we experience in meditation, sometimes we, we just drop into that zone, like Alpana saying, in standing on a beach, all of us drop into the zone of easiness many, many times. It just we don't acknowledge it, right? We don't, we don't, we don't label it. We take, we almost think it happens for everybody. But if you start acknowledging that, when we drop into that, that space where that easiness, again, word doesn't do justice. Um, what you start realizing is it is a space of extreme aliveness, vibrancy, uh, right? It's not, it's not a dead. So it's not like a dead reaction, right? When somebody who's vibrant established in that space, uh, like when you meet in a societal, uh, societal situation, right? The other will cognize you to be very lively, right? It may, you may not speak anything, you may not do anything, but the perception they will have is you're extremely vibrant, right? It's the vibrance of the, the silence uh, that people experience with Ramana Maharishi. You just want to kind of articulate that concept, right? So that's the journey it will become. Uh, right, so you don't need to be. One doesn't need to be afraid. Oh, I'm by doing this will I become socially rejected? Actually, you won't be. Um, people will get drawn to you because there's something inner that vibrating for no reason, and the perception they will tell you is, hey, just I just want to speak to you, right? Uh, kind of a thing, right? I just want to clarify that it's not a. And I don't know how it is articulated in the book, but the, the real experience is that's why if you only sit with the pagnya. So Upanishad, right? You're sitting, just sitting. Everything happens in just by sitting. Uh, you, you feel, you, you meet, I don't know if you any of you have been to Kumbh Mela, you meet these Nagasadhus. You just go in their presence, there's a bubbling joy will just come into you, right? Which is, I mean, there's no reason. He will just make, he'll just laugh, like side-like innocence. Just go in his presence, something will vibrate. Something will get transmitted from him to you. So uh, I just want to kind of call out. I mean, in this practice, let's not be... I mean, there may be an intermediate state, but as you devolve into it, it's it is really vibrancy, right? It is a, it's a state of aliveness, um, and that's that's what you know, Kali is a depiction of darkness, but it's a vibrancy, it's an alive darkness. It's not a dead depression. Uh, that's the characterization. Even when Buddha says Nirvana, it is a state of alive uh, um, vibrancy. It's not a dead silence. It's not depression. It's not people are dead. In fact. Somebody who's dead is really is in depression. And when you go near them, if you feel they're dead, they're depressed. Uh, they're not gone neither beyond mind nor anything else. They make whatever their claim is. But if you feel the vibrancy, then then you're seeing something happening inside. Uh, that's a scale. At least I've seen that, that those are my interactions with people. Thank you, Moko. That helps. Very beautifully said, Moko. Very, Very beautiful. Well. Yes. I think that was my only comment on the session. And obviously, you know, we we uh, we interacted with uh, Shardaji for a very short time, and it's impossible to understand you know, what all she went through. 
but I, I felt that if she had read the scriptures before having those experiences, she may not have been depressed by it. She would know it. Yeah. That was my only comment that if she had read it, it would have made her uh, journey easier. Journey. Because then you're not afraid of it. Then you, you yeah. know what it is. And yeah, that was my, yeah. my only no, I, I was thinking yeah, exactly I that. I always felt that way. Yeah. 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 And I also thought that, uh, you know, she did get a guru at some, part, some point in her journey. But if she had a live guru through the beginning stages, uh, she would have, you know, avoided yes. all the trouble that she, uh, she went through, right? Because she would be guided. That's, what, that's also what I felt. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but uh, she she clearly articulates what she went through. Uh, you know, when she reached that stage, uh, Alpana, your your question, right? How do you feel, right? In the book, she clearly articulates how she felt, right? Like, you no. Know, uh, so there are lots of negative aspects as well in terms of what she thought, like you know, why should I live, kind of a. Uh, things as well, but I think all that is attributed to your point. You know, the, the lack of, uh, not the lack of, maybe because she did not go through the scriptures or go through the path of having a guru uh, through the entire journey. I attribute all her uh, yeah. so uh, called troubles to those two aspects. You know? uh, definitely, right? It's like if you if you go to like the climb Mount Everest, right? You can either go with somebody who's done it before. And then he will exactly tell you which base camp to camp, where to rest, uh, you know, where to eat, right? And then what to look for, right? And of course, you know, the last mm. mile of the real journey, you know, the pinnacle, you may get hit with a storm, right? That's, nobody can predict that, right? But then the right. chances of you coming out alive is going to be a lot more. And arduousness of the journey is going to be a lot less, right? Otherwise, you're trying to figure out, I mean, you can Google and everything else, right? But, you know, there's not a, somebody who's done it five times who's seen the pinnacle, it's a big help. And... Uh, that's precisely where the role of the gurus are, right? Mm -hmm. And they can customize the journey to you to a point. Uh, I mean, only only what needs to drop will drop, right? You don't need to fight the hundred things that you don't need to worry about uh, as because of your prarapta karma, right? And that's a single, I mean, at least that's the biggest benefit I see with my guru is just, he just gives you the juice, the distills it, what you need to drink is given to you and that's it. Right, and nothing more, nothing less. It's, it's it's a very it's a very celebrative journey with the guru. And I think I think in this journey, in this journey, innovation is the killer. It should not be nothing should be innovated. You have to follow the path. Hmm. Or I no, would I mean, say Swami, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just about to uh, like Swami Paramatananda ji always loves to quote whenever he says the word Shravanam, he will immediately without hesitating give the full definition a consistent systematic study for a length of period of time from a competent live Acharya. He will give this now. I've heard it so many times. I'm able to repeat the whole thing. <laughs> like he every time he says Shravanam, he will say this is exactly what is Shravanam. Like at that point, surrender. That is what and he also then always main, says that like faith does not really capture the full meaning of Shraddha. Shraddha is like, I think the example he uses is, is like beyond faith. Like how much do you depend on your eyes for your vision? Or how much do you depend on your ear for your uh, listening and tongue for your taste? That is how much you are uh, dependent on your Shruti Pramanam for that knowledge, which cannot be got through the five senses and the mind. And hence that is how much you should depend on. That is... Shraddha. 
and you go through this with your acharya then you ask your doubts in the mananam stage and then you try to calm down everything during the so he always explains this full loop every single time it just like sticks very deeply very nice i know and muku what you were telling about you know meeting swami ji and that childlike exuberance i have seen this with swami parmatmananda yeah. you know yeah. i have met him so many times now at least four times you go to you go to him he you know i went to his home knocked on his door at the appropriate time when you know you opened the door he looked at me and then you know he's like like a kid like a kid like in you know, a jumping up and down kind of thing you know he sat down and you know we were chatting and you feel the feel a great energy and 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 it's not that you know he's not listening to what you're saying or anything like that he's listening to all the bs what you're telling him and he's answering your questions but you know he's like totally totally at peace <laughs> okay four more minutes to go and uh, we have we have seen uh, uh, vidya vp not saying anything anything vp and vidya ranjani of course okay i can i can say a few things um i just wanted to go back to what you said uh, rajesh about you know um, mother having mother knowing the child inside the womb and then maybe outside the womb also after they are but i think um, if you look at every day when you're kids come whether it's mother or father uh, when you see yourself in them and them in yourself it doesn't make a difference it's it's not just inside the womb it's outside also and when you start doing that then you see other kids also the same way um and that's why we i want to go back to what you had conversation with ajay saying that that's why we are married right <laughs> so if you see in a positive way you see a part of you in them and they in you which is nothing but brahman right so one, once you start seeing that uh, you need to experience that so so i just wanted to bring the positivity of being married uh, thank you yeah it's a good point it's a good point it's a training ground we don't realize it but uh, in the grand scheme of things it's all a training ground for us <laughs> anybody else last two more minutes before we okay cool so um uh, alpana any guidance on what next shlokas we should cover i have not had a chance um to go to look at the next ones i just check the next lecture by alpana checking just a quick question 33 is it it huh alpana 30 to 33 i thought was one yeah. that is the neti neti part unit yeah 30 to 33 okay she uh, the next lecture is covering from 31 to 42 are we okay to do that much or no, no. <laughs> that's too much alpana <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 
So I think there were two sections, 30 uh, to 33 were uh, titled under Neti Neti and then 34 to 37 is titled under Neti Dhyasana or Meditation on the Self. So let's do till 37. Yeah. Okay. 37, we should do that. Okay. And just a quick... Yeah, 30, 30 to 37. So just a question. Is this is this Atma Bodha uh, discussion, you know, uh, taking us digression from what we are uh, studying on the Gita? Or is it complementing what, you know, I just want to hear some thoughts. It is definitely helping. It is uh, complementary to what we are studying in Gita and understanding in a deeper way what Brahman is and who we are. So, it, for me, it's very good. It's been okay. beneficial. Yeah. Likewise. For me. I'm also enjoying the discussion in the sense that it's more practical for me with examples. Yeah. So, thank you. Yeah, same cool. here. Yeah, cool. Yeah, like, this is good. Yeah. And, and especially this book, I really like. I think it was, I don't know who mentioned it. In every sentence, every uh, shloka is with some beautiful example. And, you know, it kind of, you know, gets into the brain. Quite well, yeah. All right. Uh, so we have a plan for next week. So let's uh, conclude with our uh, thirty-seven, right? Uh, thirty-seven, thirty-seven. Yeah, yeah. And if uh, there's less traffic on the Gita Satsang group, you know that we are diverting our attention to the main mothership. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the reason. <laughs> okay. Sarve Bhavantu Sukhinaha, Sarve Santu Niramaya, Sarve Bhadrani Pashyantu, Makaschidukabhaga Bhavet, Om Shanti Shanti Shanti, Sri Guru Bhionamaha, Harihi Om. Hariyom, everyone. See you next weekend. Hariyom. Hariyom, thank you. Thank you.